Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. All right, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, if you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1188 in that Bible. We are on week four of a series that we have called Spring Training, where just like the baseball players need to go to spring training to get into physical shape as they are getting ready to start their season, we've been talking about how do we get into spiritual shape? How are we doing in our spiritual journey, which scripture often kind of likens to a physical activity like marathon running or, or being an Olympic athlete. So how are we doing and what are some steps that we can take to draw closer to Jesus? Our key verse has been from 1 Timothy 4, 7, train yourself to be God. That as we are uh, acknowledging that the Holy Spirit is the one who ultimately renews us and gives us a new heart and a new mind and makes us more like Jesus, we have a part to play in that process as well. We choose whether or not we engage with him and allow ourselves to be trained and allow ourselves to be transformed. Our goal is to be godly, to be like God. Our goal is to be like Jesus. And so we are to train ourselves to be more like him. So we have talked about training our ourselves with prayer. Last week we talked about training ourselves through scripture. This week we're talking about training ourselves with other people because we can't become like Jesus all by ourselves. We need others to help us out. I want to show you a short video as we get ready to get going. It's from the show Malcolm in the Middle, which was a sitcom uh, back sort of late 90s, early 2000s, and I don't think I need to set it up at all. I think it speaks for itself, uh, but take a look at the screen. Well, things escalated quickly. It has been said by prophets and philosophers and poets for as long as humanity has existed, people are the worst. And anytime we find ourselves bumping up against other people, we find there is always going to be the potential for conflict and difficulty. There's always going to be the potential for things to get messy. I have a friend who's a bit of a loner, and he said to me once, church would be great if it wasn't for all the people there. And, and so we, we recognize that whether it's a marriage or a church or a workplace or a family, that anytime we're with others, there is the potential for things to get a little messy, for us to get angry, for us to get selfish, for our worst sides to come out like in that video. And yet, on the flip side of that, other people are actually one of the greatest gifts that God has given us. We cannot become more like Jesus without other people. We cannot be strengthened in our faith without other people. We cannot become fully aware of our sin without other people. We cannot come to Jesus without other people. We cannot grow in this journey without other people. So where people can be frustrating, and there can be conflict, and there can be hurt, and there can be pain on the flip side of that, people are also also what God uses for our encouragement and our healing and our freedom and our betterment as we walk with him. So we are talking today about training ourselves to be godly, training ourselves in community. And by community, we just mean uh, any gathering of people. So we are a community in our marriage. We are a community in our family. We are a community at our school, in our workplace. And of course, we are a community as a church family. We are a community here at Meadowbrook Church. And so uh, we need one another and we cannot fully become godly without one another. So that's what we will walk through today. God himself, we understand, exists as a trinity. 
Uh, and this is going to get really abstract, and we call it the mystery of the Trinity because it can be a, a challenge to kind of wrap our finite minds around it. But God exists as one God in Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's one of the core elements of our faith. It is one God, but in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit share one mind, one heart, one will. They are united entirely as one, and yet somehow also exist as three distinct persons with different roles. And, and so again, that's part of the tension of the mystery. But what we see in Scripture is that Father, Son, and Spirit uh, love one another and honor one another. We see in the Gospel of John, Jesus saying the Son honors the Father, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father, the Father and Son send out the Spirit. The Spirit comes to bring glory to the Father and Son, just as the Son comes to bring glory to the Father. And there is this uh, very beautiful and interesting dynamic of love and relationship and mutual submission to one another, and none of them looking to glorify themselves. They're looking to glorify one another, all within who God is. So God is a community in himself. He is a loving, relational community within himself, and we are made in his image. So we too are wired for community. As God is relational, we are wired for relationship, and we need other people. And as Father, Son, and Spirit uh, you know, work together and glorify one another and submit to one another, we too, as a church community, are called to do that, to encourage one another, to submit to one another, uh, and to be in community with one another. So let's take a look at our text as we explore. What is it like to be godly and to grow in our godliness through other people? We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, page 1188 in the Pew Bible, and we're starting in verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. So there's just a few verses there, and there's just kind of a bit of a snapshot of what Christian community can look like and should look like. There are many snapshots like that in the Bible, where there's just some verses of, here's kind of what the family uh, is supposed to be about. Here are some things that the family can do and the members of the family can do for one another. And so community, as we said, exists in many different forms in our life, but part of this for us as Christ followers is that we are a community formed in Christ. We are a community formed around Christ, that Jesus is the center of this community, that we are united because we believe that Jesus is Lord, and we have submitted ourselves to his lordship, and we are trying to live out uh, our lives in reflection of that. So we're all here in that sense for the same reason, and that is a huge and powerful thing that binds us together, and yet we also come into this as very different people, with very different personalities and very different giftings. And that's where community can sometimes become a place of conflict because we approach things differently, we decide things differently, we wrestle through things differently, we have different convictions on certain things. And so uh, by constantly coming back to this idea that we are united around Jesus, we have to start there that Jesus is the one that brings us together. And ultimately, this is all about him and not about us. But that being said, in our verses today, there are a few things that we are called to do 
for one another. And so we want to be able to acknowledge that uh, and, and just learn from that as well. So first of all, starting in verse 12, we're all called to learn from and to learn with somebody else. We cannot entirely understand God all on our own. We can't entirely figure out how to walk with Jesus all by ourselves. Verse 12, now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. And so he's talking about leaders specifically, about honoring our leaders. And it can sound self-serving when a leader in the church highlights these verses and says, hey, everybody, did you listen real good? Uh, and yeah, we are all called to that, including those of us who are leaders. We are all called to, uh, to learn from somebody and to follow somebody and submit to somebody. We all have to do that. And within the church family, scripture also talks about that we are all to submit to one another, that we have leaders in place as a function of the church, but even leaders are part of the family and need to learn from the family. It's not in the church that leaders are up here and everyone else is down here because Jesus said the kingdom actually doesn't work like that. In our kingdom, the leaders are the ones who wash feet. And Jesus says there's a servant heart that comes even in leadership. And so all of us, leaders or not, are called to learn from one another, to grow together. And so there are, are things that we all have to learn. And, and we all have to be able to look to others in our family and say, what can I learn from you? And how can I grow there? If we have teachers uh, who might be a little bit further ahead of us in our understanding of the word, then we can learn from our teachers. But those of us who are teachers are then going, okay, who's further ahead of me in the word? and who's further ahead of me uh, in being a godly husband and being a godly parent and, and who's further ahead of me in this gifting that I want to grow in and who's further ahead of me in walking a holy life because uh, I can learn so much from you just as you learn from me and just as we all learn from each other. And so Jesus really kind of knocks leadership down a little bit. Not that we don't need leaders and honor leaders and submit to our leaders, but he says uh, we are our family and everybody has something that they can learn from somebody else. There's a, an old story kind of joke it's not really funny, so it's not really a joke, but it's not a true story. But the story is a man was out uh, on a walk one day, and he fell into a hole. And he's crying for help from the bottom of the hole. And a politician walked by, and the politician saw him down there, and the politician gave a speech on how there should be no more holes, and we need to do more for the people who are at the bottom of holes, and then walked away. And a doctor walked by and saw the man in need, and his heart went out to him, and the doctor wrote a prescription and dropped it down the hole and then walked on his way. A pastor went by and had compassion on the man, prayed a heartfelt prayer for his deliverance from the hole, and then walked on his way as well. But then a friend walked by and saw him in the bottom of the hole, and the friend jumped in the hole with him. And the first man said, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck in the hole. That wasn't any help at all. And the second man said, no, I know, but I've been in this hole before, and I know the way to get out. Follow me. <laughs> and so we all, that got a way better laugh than the first service. <laughs> I was not expecting that. We all need, we are all in that place where we need to follow somebody else. None of us. No matter how long we've walked with Jesus, no matter how mature we are in our gifting, no matter how much we've studied the word, we are all in the place of needing to follow somebody else. We need someone who's a little further ahead of us who can show us the way to go. And, and whatever areas you are further ahead, then you still have maybe other areas where you need to work on and you need to look to somebody. So we all need to learn from somebody else. And it's not 
always about age. Uh, sometimes it's just about experience or it's about how God has gifted us. But we all need to be able to do that. The Apostle Paul put it this way, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So follow me as I follow Jesus. Don't follow my faults. Don't follow my sins. Don't follow that part. But wherever we see godliness happening in a fellow brother or sister, we can follow that example. We can see what Jesus is up to in their lives, and we can be inspired by that. Now, this might become a sort of formal mentoring relationship where we have somebody that we meet with and, and guides us, or it might just be someone that we know where we say, wow, I love how that guy is as a Christian dad or how that lady is as a Christian wife. I really can just watch them and learn from them. Uh, but it's about being teachable enough to say, I, I can't figure it out totally on myself. I need people that I can look to. Uh, just like in physical training, sometimes we need a, a trainer. Sometimes we can't get in shape by ourselves. We need somebody who's further along than us who can show us what we need to do in order to help us get into spiritual shape. And there's another step beyond even that where we, we sort of acknowledge, you know, okay, well, I'm following after Jesus, and, uh, and Jesus had disciples who followed after him, and then they became apostles, and people followed after them. So we can kind of understand, maybe I need to follow the example of someone who's a little ahead of me. But there's another step of maturity even beyond that. And that's where we start to say, uh, now who's a few steps behind me that I can help come along? Right? Because if my life is just who's pouring into me and who's encouraging me and who's teaching me and, and where am I going and who am I following, that has to happen. But if that's all it is, it ultimately becomes kind of a self-serving, self-centered life. And in love, we need to take a step beyond just that. We need that, but beyond just that, say, okay, now who else is a little behind me? Who can I encourage as a, as a younger father or as a younger spouse? Or who else can I encourage in the gifting that we both share where I might be a little further ahead than them? Or who else can I encourage uh, just in being a faithful follower of Jesus? Because I've been doing this for 20 years and they've been doing it for two. How can I encourage them to come along? Because ultimately, for many of us, someone did that for us whether it was parents or whether it was a pastor, whether it was a leader or, or someone else in the church. But many of us have had people who, who called us along, who spurred us along. And as we grow into maturity, we need to go, okay, now that I've had that, how do I encourage somebody else who's come along? How can I encourage them as well so that it's not just about what I'm getting? As we follow others' examples who are godly, it will make us more godly. And as we start to call others along who are a few steps behind us, that too will make us more godly because Jesus did that as well. So we all need to learn from someone else, learn with someone else, uh, and help someone else to learn as well. We all need that on all fronts. Another thing that comes up in this passage is accountability. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Uh, those are a couple of particular things, but uh, it's the word warn there that's most important. And there are many such warnings in the New Testament that we are called as brothers and sisters to warn one another when we see error, when we see sin, when we see each other getting off track. We have an obligation as brothers and sisters to do that. And that's not always easy as, as a conversation. For some of us, it's way too easy to point out the things that we see wrong in other people's lives. But it's not always an easy or a pleasant conversation. And so um, with these warnings, it comes from a place of love, of I don't want you to get off track. You don't want me to get off track. If you see me getting off track in my life, I need you to tell me, because I can't always see it on my own. 
So if you remember back to your driver's training, we all have blind spots when we're driving, right? And so when we're driving, you can see a lot about where you're going, and we have mirrors that can help us see behind us and beside us. But when we are driving, it's not our fault, but there are just areas that it's just physically impossible for us to see. And now there's better mirrors and there's sensors and stuff, and so this might be less of a problem. The sermon illustration might not work in a few years, but for now, in most of our cars, uh, we have these blind spots. Again, not our fault. We just can't physically see it. And so we learn in driver training, you got to always be looking around and taking a good look. When it comes to our blind spots as people, uh, we have these blind spots as well where we can't fully see who we are, right? For most of us, probably we could tell, you know, what are the sins in your life? What are you struggling with? You would have a good idea, certainly, of, of you know what you're struggling with. And yet then there are other things that we just can't see. And like this, it's not really our fault. It's just that nobody has a perfect picture of who they are. And so we need other people who can come alongside us lovingly and graciously and say, here is something that, that I see in your life that's in error. Here's something I see in sin. Here's something where you're getting off track. We need that from one another because I can't see everything about myself and neither can you. So when we pastored in Amherstburg, uh, we did uh, an annual review with each of the pastors every year where the board would sit with the pastor and what did we accomplish this year and uh, what went well and what didn't and and it was the the board would then kind of generate a report for the next year and say here are the things we feel are, are going well here's a few things we would like you to work on and so we do a similar process here at Meadowbrook but this year with Amherstburg the board a couple of board members sat down with me and said here's an area of your ministry that we see is a real problem and I disagreed firmly with what they said. Uh, they said, it's, and it wasn't life or death, but it was just, here's something we see for you to work on. Here's something we see that uh, is a little problem now that might be a big problem later. So we want you to work on this. And honestly, what they said was the exact opposite of how I viewed myself. And I said in that meeting, that does not sound like me, what you're saying. That just doesn't sound like me. And it turns out it sounded exactly like me, but it was in my blind spot, and I just literally didn't see it. And so in the meeting, I said, well, I don't know, guys. That doesn't really, I'll think about it, pray about it, which was a bit of a courtesy, like, I'll pray about it so I can dismiss the stupid thing that you just said. And then as I prayed about it, going, oh, darn it, they are absolutely right. And it wasn't easy to, to come to that conclusion, but I, it was in my blind spot. I just, I could not see it about myself. I needed a couple of brothers who loved me. They were great about it. They were not condemning or judgmental. It was just in the interest of your growth, in the interest of your health as a minister, in the interest of the health of the staff in the church, this is something we want you to work on. And I needed someone else to point that out. I couldn't see it. And we need that. We, we don't have a perfect picture of who we are. The Bible says that faithful are the wounds of a friend, Proverbs 27, 6. These conversations might not be pleasant, but faithful are the wounds of a friend. When these two friends sat down with me, it hurt to hear what they had to say a little bit. I didn't like to acknowledge it about myself. And yet, faithful are the wounds of a friend, which means even if a friend says something that hurts, it's the hurt like a surgeon hurts in the, the service of making you healthier, in the service of saving your life. Surgery hurts, but it's necessary sometimes in order to save us. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You can trust it because it comes from a friend, not an enemy. And even if it might hurt, it is, it is for your good. 
It comes from a place of care and concern. That's not to say that everything a friend says that hurts us is good or godly, because we've all probably been stung uh, by words that hurt, but just this idea that, you know what, when people who love us point out things about us, even if it stings, uh, we can trust it, and it's ultimately for our good. When we can acknowledge, uh, you know what, my spouse isn't just being difficult, they might actually have a point in this thing that they're bringing up about me, or, or our brothers or sisters or our boss or whoever it is, uh, that, that this can actually be for our good, and we can actually become more godly as we listen to friends, people that we trust, who can speak into our lives, even if it stings a little bit. Not pleasant, but crucial and important as we trust those who love us. I said to my wife a number of years ago, um, there was an issue and she brought it up and I reacted really badly because I, I didn't agree. Uh, and then years later, years later, literally realizing, oh, you were right that whole time, uh, as she often is, and going back and saying, you know, you brought it up once and you never brought it up again. Why did you never bring it up again? And she said, well, you reacted badly. And so I thought, oh, it's just too touchy and I don't want to go there. And I said to her, well, I, I I'm sorry, I did react terribly and I wish I hadn't. But I also had a request where I said, I also need you to love me enough to have an unpleasant conversation with me because that thing hung on for years and, and I needed help to see it. And so it was my fault for reacting the way that I did. Um, can you bring it up again? Can you point those things out to me? Uh, and just being willing to say, I can't see everything about myself, and I need help uh, to see the flaws and to see the sin and to see the errors in my life. Some of them I know, uh, some of them I don't. And so as brothers and sisters in community, we need to love each other enough to be able to say lovingly and graciously, here is what I see and here is what needs work and not just turn a blind eye, because if it's in my blind spot and you turn a blind eye to it as well, then it's never coming to light. And so we need to be able to love each other enough to do that. So one of the most important things that happens in community, in, in brother and sisterhood as Christians, is that we can help each other see those things. And again, not always the funnest part. Here's a way funner part. We are also called for each other's encouragement and strengthening. This is the best part. For 14, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. A little snapshot of encouragement. Encouragement and strengthening is much more than that. But we are called to build one another up. We are called not just to point out, hey, here's where I see an error, but I think much more to point out, here's where I see something good, and here's where you're struggling, and I can help you out, and here's where life is hard, but I can make it easier for you, and we come alongside each other for our encouragement and strengthening, and as we're going through the book of Acts right now on our daily devotional podcast, it's another shameless plug, you can find it on iTunes, it's there, easy to download. Uh, we are going through the book of Acts a few verses at a time, and one of the things that is happening there uh, that I'm seeing over and over again as we go through verse by verse is uh, just that word encouragement and strengthening and how important that was in the early church, that uh, leaders would come and they would teach and the church would be encouraged and the church would be strengthened. This person's faith would be strengthened. There's an encounter over here and they are encouraged and they are strengthened. It shows up over and over and over again. And you see, obviously, in the book of Acts, which is kind of our model of what church life can be, uh, encouragement and strengthening was a huge part of what they made a priority. That our job is to build one another up. And just like we have blind spots where we don't always see our faults, uh, we also don't always see the good stuff either. 
We don't always see our gifts. We don't always see where we're being changed. We don't always see our transformation. We don't always see where God is active in our life. And sometimes with circumstances or struggles, we can feel like, you know, we can get hopeless, we can get despairing, we can get weak. And we need brothers and sisters to come along and say, here's what I see in you. Here's where I see God working in your life. Here's where I see you changing. Because sometimes we can't see the forest because of the trees. We're just too close to our own lives. And so we need other people to come along and speak into these things where we actually have this amazing God-given responsibility uh, to help one another uh, be formed into who we are supposed to be. That there is a calling on each of our lives, and we don't always know what that is, and we don't always know who we are, but brothers and sisters can come along and help us see that. I didn't know uh, I could be a teacher until a brother in the Lord came along and said, hey, I think you might have a teaching gift, uh, just based on the way you explain things when we're together. I literally didn't know that. I needed someone to come and tell me that. Uh, we can have character things that we're working on. We can have, uh, you know, journeys that we're on where we need someone to come along and say, hey, you're becoming more gentle. You're becoming more humble. There is change happening in you because we don't always see it. And so we have this amazing uh, God-given opportunity and obligation to help form each other into who we're supposed to be. And with our words and with our actions, with our encouragement, with our strengthening, uh, we can actually help shape who we are so that we can become more godly and look more like Jesus. It's an important thing that we all do. And because we don't always see our stuff, we don't always see the good or the bad, that's where we can lean on each other. Uh, and when your faith is weak, I can come and encourage you. And when my faith is weak, you can come and encourage me. And we lean on each other and we give each other strength, not just with words, but with action, with presence, with being there, uh, being able just to come alongside one another and say, we're going to do this together. It's the great blessing of Christian community. There's a character in the book of Acts named Joseph. And Joseph comes to Jesus. He becomes a pillar in the early church. And Joseph uh, is a Levite. He's from the priestly line of Israel. He's a Jewish man who comes to believe in Jesus. And we see him early in the book of Acts. And one of the things that he does uh, is that there's another man in the book of Acts named Saul who's going to become Paul. His name is going to change to Paul. But Paul, when he was younger, uh, viciously persecuted the church and killed Christians and dragged Christians into prison and testified against them so that they would be executed. And so Paul is viciously persecuting the church, and then he comes to Jesus. He has this miraculous experience on the road to Damascus, and Paul comes to Jesus and then tries to go and attend churches. And the churches understandably say, uh, the guy who's killing everybody, no thanks, you can stand outside while we have our church service. They were not overly welcoming. They were very wary at the beginning. And it's Joseph who comes alongside and says, there is something to this Paul guy. This is sincere, the change that has happened to him. He has met with Jesus. And so Joseph kind of puts his arm around him and says, he's with me, and brings him into the Christian community. And Joseph is a prophet. He is a teacher. Uh, he is sometimes called an apostle in Scripture. And so uh, he and Paul begin to minister together. And uh, it's not like Paul's up here and he's down here because Joseph was more experienced. He was further along in the Lord. And so together they go and they minister. And various times in the ministry, uh, when Paul would be in trouble, it it would be Joseph who goes and saves him. And it says of Joseph that he would go into churches and he would just encourage them ridiculously. He had this incredible gift for building people up. And so uh, he would just go around and strengthen churches and encourage them and strengthen Paul and encourage him. And you realize as you read through Acts that Paul would not have become Paul if it wasn't for Joseph. 
that Joseph was crucial in Paul figuring out who he was and figuring out his calling and being who God had created him to be. Joseph was critical in Paul's life. And one of the reasons some of you are saying, well, we don't really know this Joseph, that's not an unfamiliar name, is because that's not the name that actually stuck with him. His name was Joseph, but he was so encouraging that the apostles gave him a nickname, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so his name is Joseph, but they said, you're just so ridiculously encouraging that we need to give you a new name. You are now son of encouragement. We're just going to call you encouraging guy from now on. That's how encouraging this guy is. And Paul could not have become fully Paul. Barnabas is used by God to encourage Paul and strengthen him and call him forward. And we all need Barnabases in our life. We need someone doing that for us. We need to also go and do that for somebody else because you don't know uh, who the person in the pew beside you might be trying to be and they just need some encouragement to help get there. And so one of the great blessings we give to one another is to strengthen and encourage the church. Uh, scripture uses this picture, this metaphor, that the, the church family is like a, a body, like a human body. And the body is made up of different body parts. We have eyes and hands and legs and organs and, and skin and hair and all of these things. And every part of our body is crucial. And every part of our body has a distinct purpose. And just as importantly, every part of our body doesn't do all the other purposes. And so I have eyes that help me see, but they can't move my body physically around. I need legs for that. And so the eyes are crucial, but they also need the legs. And the legs wouldn't know where to go if the eyes weren't doing their job. And I have a liver that I can't live without, but the liver can't, uh, you know, take in information through my brain to send messages to all the different parts through my nervous system. That's not its job. It has a different job. And so the picture of our church family being like a human body is you have a part to play, that you have a unique personality, a unique gifting, a unique calling on your life, Scripture says you have an anointing from the Holy One. God has anointed you to do something, but He has not anointed you to do everything. And so your job is to figure out who you are and to do that, and where you are weaker, to lean on other brothers and sisters who are stronger in that area and to learn from them. And where they are weaker, they will lean on you with what you have and what you bring to the table. And one of the great blessings we can bring to one another is to help each other figure that out. Who are you? Who are you? What's your gifting? What's your calling? How, how do you best connect with God? And, and how do we encourage one another uh, towards living after Jesus? We will become more godly as we are encouraged to be more godly by people who know us and trust us. Life is easier with buddies. Uh, we need others to help us do this. Last point. We are called to this place of other-centeredness, and that's kind of a made-up term, but it's opposed to self-centeredness, which is our default as human beings. We are default selfish people. It's been that way since sin entered the world. We actually have to work at not being self-centered, at looking to others instead of ourselves. Verse 15, make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Notice that last part. Do what is good for each other and everyone else. Nowhere does it say, do what is good for me, which is often, that's a phrase we say, right? Do you want to do this? That's not really good for me, actually. It's not about doing what is good for me. It's about doing what is good for each other and for everyone else. Looking beyond ourselves and for those of us who follow Jesus, that is personified perfectly in the cross where Jesus didn't come and, and come to save us, but when it came time to enter into the suffering, say, you know what, the cross just, it's not really good for me, actually, right now. But he went willingly, for God so loved the world, 
that he went to the cross for us. 1 John 3.16 says that this is how we know what love is. This is how we define love. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's what love looks like. That's how we know what love is. Love lays down its life for others. Love does not say, this isn't good for me. Love says, how can I die for you today? And so that's how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and the rest of that verse says, and we should also lay down our lives for one another. Because that's what love looks like. Love is putting others first, even to the point of death. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. So do nothing where it's all about you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not easy to do. But in humility, say, I'm going to put your needs before mine. I'm going to put your interests before mine. I'm going to lay aside what I want or what I feel like I need in order to serve you. Everyone should not be looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And this works best when everybody does it. It sucks if there's half of us who are saying, I'm going to live this way, and the other half saying, I'll take it all. Thank you very much, and I'm going to do what's best for me. It's best when everybody takes on this attitude of humility that Jesus demonstrates for us where we say, it's not about me, I am going to do what's best for you. And when you're in a church family, when you're in a community, there are inevitably going to be parts of it that you don't like. And we're okay with that. You know why? Because we didn't design the community specifically for you as an individual. And if you like every single thing that's going on, that means there's other people who don't like it. And so when we are making decisions as a church or whatever, uh, the things that we don't always like about church, I don't like that decision, I don't like that worship song, I don't like this program that we're doing, you don't have to like everything, you shouldn't. It's not all for you. But to be able to say, okay, you know what, yeah, it's not about me. So even if I don't like this decision, or I don't like this program, or I don't like this song, this song just isn't meant for me, but I can rejoice that it's blessing somebody else. I can rejoice that God is doing something in everybody's life, not just mine. To be other-centered enough to be able to say that sincerely, that not everything has to be for me. And if I'm in a community, some of it's going to be for me, some of it's going to be for other people. And if it's for other people, I might not like that as my cup of tea, but man, I'm happy Jesus is blessing those other people through it. That's what maturity looks like as we grow in this. If you want an interesting uh, Bible study exercise, you can Google New Testament one another. New Testament one another. There's a list of dozens of phrases like love one another, encourage one another, greet one another. There's some on the screen that's a bit hard to read. But all the times we are called to do things for one another. Uh, and there's very little in the New Testament that says, make this all about you personally. Do it yourself. But there's a lot of one another. Live in harmony with one another. Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Wash the feet of one another. Serve one another. Lay down your lives for one another. Submit to one another. And, and many more. That, that we are called to this place of Christian community. And part of that is laying down your life for one another. We are most like Jesus when we are doing these things. Because this is what Jesus did when he walked the earth. He washed feet. He served others. He put others' needs above his own through his whole life, but especially in going to the cross. So we are most like Jesus when we are serving and loving and, and putting others first because that's what he did for us. We're just about done. Come on up, worship team. We'll wrap up in just a minute here. 
Just as we get ready to close, we do have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca. If you have any questions about the sermon, if you want to keep chatting, if you want to grab a coffee or whatever, we are always happy to do that. So please feel free. That address is in your uh, bulletin as well. In terms of next steps in this series, I have not wanted to say here, do this, do this, do this, because uh, I really want to let the Holy Spirit speak that to you and bring to mind what we need to do next. But, um, but we will challenge you. There is a step to take from here uh, based on the word of the Lord. There is something that the Holy Spirit is speaking to all of us. It'll be different for each person, but you know where you're at. And so in taking an honest assessment of saying, how am I doing at this whole community thing uh, where I can't do this Christian journey without others, then what might a next step look like? And we talked about a number of things. Maybe it's about intentionally finding people to follow, finding an example uh, of a Christian uh, father or, or mother or a spouse or, or a friend or business person, finding someone whose example you can look to and say, oh, I can, I want to intentionally follow that person's example as they follow Jesus. Maybe it's the flip side of that. Maybe it's, I need to find someone who's a few steps behind me and just have coffee with them from time to time and encourage them along in their spiritual journey. Maybe it's the accountability piece. Maybe it's, I need to find someone who can speak into my life or at least be open uh, maybe to my spouse speaking into my life and recognizing that I do have blind spots. I do need help from other people in order to see who I am and what I need to work on. I'll become more godly as I actually allow someone to say, where do I need to grow and what do I need to work on? And where is their sin and where are their issues in my life? Maybe it's in the area of encouragement. And I find with, you know, the, the accountability side and the encouragement side, most of us naturally lean one way or the other. Uh, some of us are really good at the pointing out what's wrong and we could stand to work on the encouragement side. Some of us are really good at the encouragement side and we could stand to, to speak up on the truth on the harder stuff a little bit more. But maybe it's just finding someone to encourage. And it can be a text, it can be a phone call, uh, an email or a message, it can be a coffee, it can be a, a gift, it can be a million different ways. But how can you encourage somebody in their spiritual journey today? And maybe it's just an attitude shift to work on of constantly shifting away our focus on self and saying, where can I put others first? Where can I serve others? Where can I rejoice uh, where I don't get something, but somebody else gets something and I'm gonna rejoice with them uh, even though I'm not getting it? Where can we consistently look to others and find ways to be like Jesus in that way as we serve others and as we put others' needs above our own? It's not all easy. Community is not all easy. And yet, as we seek to be more like Jesus, us, we realize as we look to the scriptures, we need each other so badly for our accountability, for our encouragement, for our strengthening, uh, to, to be like Jesus, to be godly, to train ourselves to be godly is to do it with other people as well. We're going to close in worship and then we will pray to wrap it up. So would you stand with me to your feet? Words will be on the screen as we center in on Jesus and worship him before we go. with people I just ask that you do that in the lobby or at the cafe just as people are praying in here but before we end let's wrap up in a word of prayer God I thank you that it is your breath in our lungs Lord that you give us life and that we are new creations in you God 
I thank you for your love that you didn't have to come down, but you did. And it was in your mercy and your love, God, that you gave us the cross. And I ask right now as we leave this place, Lord, that you would convict us, that you would reveal to us areas in our life that we need to change, Lord. That you would reveal our blind spots to us, God. That you would show us where we need to encourage, where we need to uplift, and where we need to sharpen others. God, that we can further your kingdom, we can grow as the body of Christ and honor you through that, Lord. So I just ask for a hunger and a desire as we leave this place that it would not end here this morning, Lord, but that it would carry out throughout our week into our workplaces, Lord, and into our homes, that we would just put a smile on your face. So Lord, we give you this morning and we ask for your blessing upon us in your name. Amen. Have a good Sunday, everyone. Thank you.